Father, thank you again for opportunity to be together and open the scriptures together to see one another's faces and to encourage one another. We're grateful that you've been able to give us these opportunities over the weekend. Grateful that um, that during this time of isolation we can still be edified and still learn from the scriptures together. We just commit our time to you, seek your blessing again. Just ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're reading in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. We'll start at uh, verse 10. And we'll read through to the end of the chapter. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father dwelleth in me. He does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know, that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. Thou will love him, thou will manifest myself to him. Judas says unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and I will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent These things have I spoken unto you, being present with you. But the Comforter, who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whenever I have said unto you, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you, before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk, talk much with you, 
for the prince of the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the father and as the father gave me commandment even so I do arise let us go from here before we start our readings I would like to say a few words regarding our situation and our isolation uh, I won't take much time it's take just a few minutes just bear with me Regarding this time of isolation, we thank the Lord. He opened the avenue and the door for us to communicate through the internet. But actually, we all of us are excited. Most of us are very happy and excited. But actually, this shouldn't take away our attention from the purpose of isolation. If we have this isolation, it's supposed to be for a purpose. Things happening is not accidentally, not randomly, but anything happens and the Lord permitted to happen, this is for a purpose. And we have to find out what's the purpose of that. We need to come before the Lord and ask the Lord what you want to tell us in this time of isolation. I, uh, this isolation actually is all over the world, as we see. So all the assembly of God, all the uh, uh, suffering, and all is staying home. We don't enjoy Sunday morning anymore. Our precious meeting just to come, to gather around the Lord to remember Him. And we lost our fellowship together. All over the world, not here in Bolvon, but on all the assemblies. I will give you... I, I just remind you with something happened in the past. Exactly the same all over the world, but not a, a, a pandemic. It was a famine. We see this in Genesis from 41 to 45 and in Psalm 105. We see this. The Lord, he, he said he called for a famine in the land, the whole land was a famine in the whole land. And what was the purpose of this famine? I think at least was two purposes. One of them, for one person to be honored, the Joseph, and for his brothers to be restored. And after and this was accomplished, Joseph was honored and his brothers were restored. So we need to come before the Lord and ask him, What's the lesson? What's the want to tell us in this isolation? So we failed in two different ways. We failed individually to show the Lord Jesus in our lives. God wants us to be like his son. I'm saying about myself, I failed to do that. The Lord wants the assembly of God to be a testimony. We failed in this one as well. So we need to come before the Lord and to repent and to confess our failure and to ask him for his mercy to get us out of this isolation, to come back, to remember him, to honor him, and to be a good testimony for him. Amen. We had already started making some comments 
about the section that includes verse 10 yesterday and um, prompted by a suggestion from David regarding this word abides, abiding. And as I've been thinking about it, I'm thinking about it more the, the simple way to um, outline the three things that are said here. Firstly, I am in my Father. Secondly, the Father is in me. And then thirdly, the Father who abides in me. I think the simple way of um, putting those into words would be, I am in my Father. That is his position. When the scripture says, for example, that we are in Christ, that's our position. For him, of course, it goes further and deeper than position. That's his eternal relationship. And then secondly, that the Father is in me. The Father was in him in testimony. The works of the Father were being done by him. The words of the Father were being spoken by him. And likewise, when the scripture speaks about Christ being in us, that's for testimony, for us to display his character here in this world. And then the third expression, the Father abides in me, that's communion. So we have position, testimony, and communion. I, I think we'll find that um, that um, outline holds water um, on each occasion, expressions like this are used, particularly when we go a little further into the chapter, um, verse, verse 20. I'm in my Father. That's his position and relationship. Ye in me. That's our position. I in you. That's our testimony, him outworking his own character through us. He was pointing out, wasn't he, Greg, too, in verse, verse 10, his disciples and all around him saw all the marvellous works that Jesus has done on the earth the healing of the sick blind having the robe of his garment touched um, speaking to the centurion who had his servant healed what he was saying here I just haven't done this the father in me he built the works and he's pointing this out to him it wasn't just me it's the father I done also some readings about verse 10 uh, from different writers and I got another thought Greg, for this verse as well. This is, I think, is complementary to what you said as well. This is the, uh, the first one, I am in the Father and the Father in me. This is, is the Lord speaks about his eternal unity and the eternal uh, uh, bond relationship with the father and regarding the, the father abides in me this is regarding his service he's here on earth when he, he came here his service he done it through the, the father who abides in him this is the thoughts I got it from different writers I think this will be a complementary to what you mentioned as well it says in verse 11 when it says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. But if not, believe me for the works sake themselves. And what was his testimony 
It was the testimony of the works that he had done, which he says, believe me. So he's saying that you might not believe that the Father is in me doing, believe me, you may not believe that it's the Father in me who's doing this, but look at the works. And even further than that, listen to the words which I have spoken to you, because he says that um, earlier. And remember when he finished the what we call the Sermon on the Mount, it said that the crowds, go something like, the crowds marveled at the authority with which he spoke these words, and not as the priests or the scribes spoke them. He had a unique testimony, not only in what he did, but also in what he said. And that uh, aligns with the Father is in him. And that is what's being worked out. And we might see that, how that takes us a bit further in a few moments into verse 12. But um, it seems to be very consistent that he says... If you're not going to believe that the Father is in me, well, believe my works, because they are the testimony of that. It's it's interesting in, in verse 10 when he says, The words which I speak to you, I do not speak from myself, but the Father who abides in me, he does the works. He doesn't say, he says the words. And if we're taking this abides in me as a picture of communion, um, and how beautiful this is. Perfect alignment between the Father and the Son. The Son says the words. The Father does the works. What wonderful harmony. What wonderful communion. No discord at all. The Lord Jesus speaks and the works are done by the Father. Um, just perfect alignment between the Father and the Son. And we see this in the abiding and the communion between them. Do you see it also in chapter 9, where the Lord Jesus healed the uh, the blind man, the man born blind, and his testimony before the, uh, the council there in chapter 9, verse 33, he says, If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. What a wonderful relationship that he had with his father. And as our brother said, the testimony that he had proved that he was of God, and he is God. The power that he had and the relationship that he had with his father proves to us that he is his God. Same with um, getting back to Donald earlier, that um, when the people were listening to Jesus, comparing to the, um, the scribes and the Pharisees, they would have been used to the scribes and Pharisees giving a order and a ritual, just like in the church system today, yet Jesus wasn't using that system, would you say that? He transcended that system as the light of life. It's the same with um, Lazarus, wasn't it, in, in chapter 11? The sickness is not unto death. Um, I was thinking more along the lines of Nicodemus. Right at the beginning, Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus and said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So it was a 
the very fact that he was there, um, that he was performing these miracles, was a testimony to men already that he was from God. Now, what he's saying is a step further and saying that these works come from my father, really a revelation to those that were his own. Donald, you've um, introduced us to some of the ideas that are going to come out in verse 12. It's a verse that um, I find difficult to understand. I'm sure many of us find difficult to understand. What, what does it, do you have some thoughts as to what it means? Thanks, Greg. Um, the answer is yes, I do have some thoughts, and they're very similar to you. They're very difficult. And I have pondered the, um, this verse uh, for quite a long time. And I can't remember, a year or two ago when we were in Melbourne, we looked at this verse one Friday night study. And I found out after that study, I didn't know much about this verse. And I confess that. And I've looked backwards and forwards about what are these works. But then the more I've looked at this verse, I actually believe the answer is actually in the verse. The verse, verily, verily, he says, he starts that. Every time he starts a verily, verily, a truly, truly, he's bringing out some principle which is important for us to take note of. He repeats, truly, truly, verily, verily. So there's an emphasis for us. He says, he that believes on me, the works which I do, shall he do also. And he shall do greater than these. And you might immediately say, impossible. How can we do a greater work than what the Lord Jesus has done? But the Lord doesn't make impossible statements. He's making a, a, a verse of, he's making a statement of truth. But then he gives the reason. And the reason is, because I go to the Father and he has gone to the Father. He has gone to the Father, not like he was back in um, chapter 13, 31, as the Son of Man, the humble man who's contemplating the cross and contemplating all of that. He's now gone to the Father as the Son who has been glorified in a position and a glory and an excellence which is on the other side of the cross. It's in newness of life. It's new creation in its full display. And he is the full display of the new creation in humanity. He has gone to the Father and he is going to tell us in a few verses particularly that verse 20, that he is also in us. That's us when we are in new creation. And therefore, the way he presents it here is not only do I do the works, he says, but I'm going to my father. I'm going to be the glorified man having finished and completed the work that the Father gave me to do. I will be in glory in that excellence with my Father 
I will then, you will be with me, that is the position you will have, and I will be in you, and everything that you do will be the testimony of a glorified man, which are greater works than the works that he did when he was here on earth. And I don't want to get into the what those specific works might be or tasks might be, because every time I do that, I get myself tripped up and I find myself getting confused. But I do know that he has worked a work of faith in each of us so that we would do the works which he has prepared that we should walk in them. I think we get that in um, Ephesians 2, isn't it? Ephesians 2.10, maybe. Um, I'd have to look that up. But those are some thoughts I have. And the answer, as I said, comes because it's in that verse. Because I go to the Father. And I think it's a very precious thought. I think also we... uh... We remember that uh, the apostles they done a great works, actually, but not by themselves, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because as you mentioned, Doran, he will go to the Father and then will send the Holy Spirit to them. And when he sends the Holy Spirit also uh, to, to them, the, the, the power, of the, power of, the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit works in them. In this time, the apostolic time, the in, in the time of the uh, uh, for, uh, the formation of the church, with the great power, and this great power has done very great works. Actually, at that time, uh, we don't like to mention it, but uh, I think this is another thing uh, besides you mentioned before. I thank the Lord here when He say, "The work which I do shall He do also." He doesn't mean the miracle which the Lord did, but the main concern for the Lord when he was here in the flesh, to declare the Father before all men. And when we have good relationship with the Father, we can declare him before people here. So we can do the work which it was food for the Lord Jesus. I think that's good, Wagdi, and thank you for that. Isn't right when Peter, he uh, preached and the 3,000 came to know the Lord, 3,000 in one, in one go, this is a great job, a great work was done by the power of the Spirit. This is not necessary, as you mentioned, the uh, miracles, but this is a good miracle. The 3,000 comes from when, uh, when Peter spoke after the Pentecost. We can have picture from the Old Testament. Uh, Elijah, he did double work of Elijah. And I guess this um, helps us to understand then what is meant in verse 13. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name. This whatsoever is connected with verse 12, doing works that are greater than the life works of the Lord Jesus. 
This whatsoever is connected with his present place in glory. He's gone to the Father. His desire when he was on earth was to make known the Father, and as we had yesterday, no matter how much he did and said to make him known, nobody received that revelation. There was no capacity in man to receive it. But now that there is capacity, the very least thing we as believers do will contribute towards an enhancement of the Father's glory, a greater work. And so we can pray, we can speak to the Lord Jesus himself. This is the connection here in, in verses 13 and 14. This is prayer to the Lord Jesus that he himself will answer. In, in chapter 15, verse 16, there's prayer to the Father, that the Father would answer. But here it's prayer to the Lord Jesus, him answering, so that the works that are done, however small in our eyes, might be great in his eyes because they contribute to men appreciating the Father's glory. Let's say why it's not miracles. Because when we see in the book of Acts, we see the apostles just healing the sick and raising the dead, which already Lord Jesus done. And so nothing new, nothing greater. Here it says greater. But what is greater than giving the glory to God through begotting people or giving, uh, preaching people and getting them to Christ? The miracle of the second verse. I think that is the, the greater works. And by this, God the Father is glorified. I was just going to say that's, that is helpful, Modi. And when Brother Tadros was speaking about Peter and the um, 3,000, it wasn't actually Peter who uh, brought in the 3,000. It's the Spirit of God that brings in the 3,000. What was Peter's work? Peter's work that this Jesus, whom you have crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. He has recognized him where he is, how he is, and what the Father has done in taking the Son into glory. And that's consistent with what we've got written in here. The Father is glorified. He is at the right hand of the Father. And the consequence of that is the power of the Spirit of God brought 3,000 people to salvation that day. The Lord in Matthew 28, they give the disciple this um, uh, verse or this command, go, um, as they said, go therefore and make disciple of all the nation. So to spread the word of God everywhere, to spread the good news of the word of God everywhere in the whole world, this means it's a greater work. The Lord himself, he was doing the miracle and preaching in, uh, in a small area. And, but he gives the authority to his disciples to go everywhere. And some translation um, said about the disciple in Acts chapter 17, they uh, made or they 
uh, turn the world upside down. Just a quick question. Do we limit this to the gospel uh, works? I don't think so, David. You might like to speak a bit more in just a moment. But it's anything that says that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So what happens when we gather together to remember the Lord Jesus? Is that a work? That is glorifying the Father in the Son. So worship comes into it. And you might be able to add some more thoughts on it because it must be broader than just the gospel, not that the gospel is a just. Do we see miracles performed today? Well, the greatest of miracles is the conversion of any soul to Christ. I think there are, there are some in this chat group who can testify to that, having experienced it, um, whether a long time ago or not so long ago, it's the greatest miracle that has ever happened. People tend to want to focus on what is spectacular to men. They think of the works the Lord Jesus did, like giving sight to a blind man and say, wow, that's a great work. Um, surely if a work was to be greater than that, not only would, would you give the man sight, but you'd give him X-ray vision or some such nonsense. And even in the Christian world, people have attempted to focus on the, the physical and on the spectacular. But that's not what the Lord is speaking about here. The greatest miracle, the greatest power in the universe is the power required to bring someone out of death into life out of darkness into light, and that certainly happens. But two, how, how wonderful that even in the simple things that we can do as Christians in dependence on the Lord, it might be giving a cup of cold water. But if it's done in the name of the Lord Jesus and the recipient thereby gives thanks to the Father, what a wonderful work that is. Didn't that voice once say, my grace is sufficient for you? That might encourage us in relation to praying for the gospel. This is, this is in relation to prayer he's asking here, and we're talking about the gospel being a great work of a glorified and ascended Christ. Probably encourage us here to pray more earnestly in relation to prayer for lost souls. We are very fortunate that the Holy Spirit put before us what's the Lord Jesus when he communicated with his father in chapter 17. He said, I manifest thy name before those which you give it to me. This is the conclusion of his life. And... How is wonderful the Holy Spirit give us the opportunity to hear what the Lord spoke before the Father. And the Lord gave us the eternal life. What's the purpose of the eternal life? To know the Father and his Son, which he sent. Um, 
will come in Arabic. I will see my brother Michael will translate me. And I will share with my colleague who is thirty-seven. He will be called I might ask for some help from um, some of the other brothers who heard the Arabic. I don't know if Brother Camille or Brother George could help me to translate that. The brother was asking about or was commenting on verse 13. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And linking it with verse 1 of chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. And a, a connection between the, the Father and the Son, something that the world does not see, this relationship between the Father and the Son. But... In verse 18, he says, I will not leave you orphans. I am coming to you yet a little and the world sees me no longer, but ye see me because I live, ye also shall live. Um, just that relationship that's between the Father and the Son that the world doesn't see, but those who know the Lord Jesus see. It might be good to um, to continue moving through the, the chapter. Um Marion has brought us into the next section. Now, it begins with verse 15. Donald remarked a couple of days ago that um, this, um, this this statement about um, love is a frequent statement um, throughout the course of not only um, what the Lord speaks here in the upper room, but also the New Testament. And here, um, it's, if you love me, Keep my commandments. There is no, there is no question here about the love of the Lord, because in the beginning of chapter thirteen, he said Jesus loved his own, loved them to the end. There is no question about the love of the Lord, but who can feel? and experience this love, it's one like John, who is in the bosom 
of Jesus. You have fellowship with the Lord. But the love of the Lord is equal and unlimited to every one of them. It's just, uh, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Just I go back to what happened with the three of the mighty men of David in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 17. There, actually David didn't command them or ask them to do anything. Just he expressed his longing. He liked just to get a drink from the well of Bethlehem. He didn't ask anyone to do anything. But those people, because they have fellowship with David, they are really, very close to David, then they know his thoughts and they, they know his feeling. They know what pleased David, even without asking them to do anything. They risked their life. They went and brought some water for David. Do you, do, you, do you know the thought of the Lord? Do you know what pleased the Lord and do it even without asking us for any commandment? This is the first thing. The other one is, if you believe me, keep my commandment. I think in chapter 13, we read about one of these commandments. If you love me, love one another. This is the way the others will see or know that you love me. And the other one, when he met Peter and said, Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said it to him three times. Maybe in the beginning, Peter was annoyed. What, do you doubt, Lord, that I love you? Yes, Peter was loving to the Lord. And, but the Lord meant to tell him how he can love me in a practical way. We saw to love one another. Yes, to love one another doesn't mean when we see a brother to say, brother, I love you, in words. No, no, no. I think it's more deeply than that. To love one another means to sacrifice for one another. And what the Lord said to David, if you love me, shepherd. Shepherd my own, my people. Feed my people. Care for my people. That's what we should do. Love, the expression of love, it's not only words, but it should be in deep and in truth. We take verse 15, verse 21, and verse 23. Verse 15, he said, who loves me, keep my commandments. And 21, he said, who keep my commandments, he is the one who loves me. And who loves me will be loved by my father, and I manifest myself to him. In verse 23, he said, 
who loves me uh, keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my words, my word. And what's the, uh, what will happen? And my father loves him and will come to him and make our home with him. Different things between the commandments and the word. If we do the commandments of the Lord, so we just follow his commands, we do it. If we do this, this means we love, we love him. And if we do that, if we love him and do that, he, the father, of course, will love us because we do the will of the, of Christ. We do, we do his commandments. And at the same time, the Lord will manifest himself to us. The other one is his word. His word, I think, this is his mind, the mind of Christ. All, all what he taught, all what's in his mind, all his, his thinking, all what's in his mind. This is the mind of Christ. So if we do his commands, this we do, we do nothing, uh, nothing, uh, uh, nothing extra. Just we do what he commanded us to do. But if we do his, if we do his word, this means we have the mind of Christ, and this much deeper as well. And in this case, we'll be loved by the Father as well. But the Lord and the Father will come to us and make and dine with us. This is more precious things and more deeper things we 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 we, we will have. So we ha- we we have to do His words. We have to have the mind of Christ if we love Him. What you're saying, Tadros, to be used of the Lord and to do the Lord's work, we have to obey these scriptures. When you you get a word like verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. How does our how does our heart initially respond to that? Don't we initially say, well, now how am I going to do that? How can I possibly do that? I've read the Old Testament. I've seen what it's like with commandments. Nobody can keep commandments. Ah. But the Lord says in verse 16, I'm going to give you something that will enable you to do that. I will beg the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world can't receive him. Only the believer receives the spirit of truth. Only the believer receives the spirit of God. Only the believer is then given the capacity to keep his commandments. If it were the case of me doing that with some strength that I have internally, I couldn't do it. No way could I do it. But the Lord not only gives us a command, he gives us the ability then to fulfill that command. And he does so by giving us the Holy Spirit. There's a... um... There's a nice verse that just gives the distinction between um, keeping the commandments of the Lord and keeping his words in 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 22, it says, Whatsoever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments, that's number one, and practice the things which are pleasing in his sight. Um, So there's the two um, distinct from each other. There's the keeping of the commandments of the Lord. There's those things that are um, clearly for us outlined in scripture. Um, The teachings that um, 
we the doctrine of scripture the things that he taught um clearly outlined that's his commandments and then practice the things that are pleasing in his sight these are things that are not clearly spelled out oh show me the verse that tells me i can't go to this place or that place or i can't get a tattoo or i can't uh say this or do that um no there might not be a verse but there is the practicing the things that are pleasing in his sight um and those two things are very important and the nicely contrasted or outlined um in distinction to each other in that verse in first john there's a um a difference between keeping and doing um i don't know if it's apparent and and in the language of the new testament but in the old testament and joshua told the people at the end of his ministry that they were to keep and to do all of the things that were written in the law so there was a clear just um, clear distinction almost as though to keep was where you put it and to do was how you worked it out so um it, it sounds and seems to be the same case with the lord jesus keeping his commandments is where you put them you don't mean dave like putting them on a shelf on a plaque um and putting a gold frame around it <laughs> mean with uh, where you put them yeah yeah where you put them in your heart yeah nice on the wall <laughs> the um the jews thought that they had eternal life because they had the scriptures I think that comes in at the um somewhere towards the end of John 5 um I'm not going to be able to find it I can't put my eye on it at the moment it's towards the end of John 5 um search the scriptures uh yeah verse 39 John 5:39 Ye search the scriptures for ye think that in them you have life eternal. They thought that they had eternal life because the word of God had been delivered to them and and they searched it. That's not what gave them eternal life. The Lord goes on there to say that they are they which testify of me keeping his word um it's not just a matter of saying we have the word of God the word of God is ours. but of treasuring it in our hearts as Dave has said and seeking to put it into practice the very important word in verse 17 i think we um, we should take notice of that um the holy spirit was abiding with the disciples when the lord jesus was living on earth but he says something further than that and shall be in you after the lord had gone to the cross after that grain of wheat had fallen into the ground and died he would bring forth much fruit there would be believers who were associated with him identified with him linked with him and that because 
having ascended back into heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, after the Lord Jesus had gone back to heaven, having finished the work, would come and indwell believers. Now, that had never happened before. He was certainly with the disciples. They had, had been sent out by the Lord and performed miracles, not in human strength. The Holy Spirit had been with men like King David, but he had also been with men like King Saul, and he'd also been with men like Judas Iscariot. He hadn't indwelt them, but his power had influenced them so that they had an ability to do things beyond human strength. The Lord is telling the disciples here, I'm going to give you something greater than that. Not the Holy Spirit um, in an external way lending support to those things that you do, but one who dwells in you, one who will be in you permanently and forever. We learn from the teachings of the Apostle Paul, for example, that he will be in us as a seal, as a mark of God's ownership, as a mark of security, saying um, to every enemy, hands off, this one is mine, saying to our own souls, um, oh, we have a little foretaste now of eternity, a little foretaste of what's coming. The Holy Spirit is a seal giving us um, security, He's an earnest, giving us a foretaste. He's in us, giving us the power of risen life in connection with the risen Lord Jesus. All of these things are things that are way beyond any privilege that an Old Testament believer or a believer such as the disciples ever had. Greg, can we, can we say that the dwells, dwells with you this means in the, assem uh, in the, in, in the among, among this assembly and in you individually. Can we say that? I'm just asking. Hmm. I hadn't thought of it in connection with the assembly here. Um, he, he's, he's telling the disciples, the then disciples, how things were with them then. He abides with you and shall be in you. The shall be is talking about a future thing. The abides with you is talking about a thing that was then present. Okay. Um, the Holy Spirit certainly indwells the assembly yes. as he indwells the individual believer. Um, that, that, that's, that's without doubt, but whether the Lord is referring to that here, I, I think, is doubtful. There's a kind of time, yeah. In 21, back to 21, um, one of the commandments that we have is to remember the Lord Jesus. And um, Paul, by revelation, he, he uh, says, uh, the Lord said this do in remembrance of me, which um, Luke would have learned from Paul, I assume. And he says a uh, similar thing. And when we uh, remember the Lord, I'm sure he manifests himself to us in a special way. Uh, it's one of the high points, and it's obeying a commandment, but we want to, as uh, Michael says, um, we want to be there. We want to please the Lord. We want to be there to remember him, and this is something we've missed out on 
in recent weeks and uh, uh, and it's it makes you realize how important this is and uh, how precious it is I will manifest and will manifest myself to him this is a thought that we um I think it goes a bit beyond exactly what we've got in John 14, but it's also a very important point for us to remember, and it does relate to the, uh, the thoughts that Tadros gave us at the very beginning of the meeting about what we've got going in the world at the moment. And Lord willing, we will be able to remember the Lord again when... Um, uh, the authorities let us do that the big thing that we have collectively though which we often lose sight of is that the presence of the spirit of God which dwells in each individual is also having it says in Ephesians it's the habitation of God and the spirit is the assembly and in the assembly, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit is the restraint that God is using on evil in the world. And we might think there's a lot of evil in the world, but when the Spirit of God is taken out, when he is no longer dwelling on the earth amongst the believers collectively as the assembly, then the manifestation of evil will be absolutely awful. And we should never forget that collectively we are in the assembly God's restraint on evil because it's uh, the way he is, is, is managing it. it. It comes out of Genesis 1. There was darkness over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And that darkness was restrained by the power of the Spirit of God. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And that's what's going to happen in the, as we go through God's purposes ahead of time. But it comes because he has the Spirit of truth. It's not just the Spirit of God. He is, he, is, he is the Spirit of God, but he is also the Spirit of truth. And we could have a conference on the, um, the work of the Spirit of God in these uh, three chapters, 14, 15, and 16. It's an amazing topic. But that is not only individual, it is collective. And what a place we have to demonstrate practice that collective aspect is when we come together to remember the Lord in the breaking of bread. It's the, it's the central point where it happens. And Lord willing, we'll be able to do it again if the Lord hasn't come for us. The most important meeting we have, isn't it, Donald? The, um, the Lord says in verse 18 not now speaking of the Holy Spirit, but speaking of himself. I will not leave you orphans. I am coming to you. 
That's not referring to his coming again, um, as was mentioned in the first couple of verses of the chapter. Surely this is a coming to us collectively, where the Lord Jesus manifests himself to us when we're together. You know, um, there have been different comments at different times, people saying, oh, it's been great having meetings like this, being able to, to hook up, or we're sitting in our own lounge rooms or, or studies or wherever we're sitting. Um, when, once the government lifts the restrictions, people will be so tempted to, uh, to want to keep doing this. And I said to a brother, anyone who thinks like that's got rocks in his head. You know, there's nothing like being together so that the Holy Spirit is free amongst the company and the Lord Jesus can manifest himself personally to us when we're together. We, we might be um, sharing in some way by a means of communication here, but we're not together. And we long for that togetherness. We long for it because we love one another. We long for it because we value the presence of the Lord Jesus and we value the free working of the Spirit of God amongst his people. That these are things that come out in just a little way here. I'd like to add something great. We thank the Lord for the work which you're doing and the effort which uh, you give us. And how wonderful to see all the saints together. But something missing, the chiefest between the 10,000. We miss him. We miss to gather together around him and we enjoy his presence. Just I'd like to add something about another comfortable, comforter. In the original word means advocate and means power. In the same word, advocate. We have advocate before the father, according to First John chapter two, verse two but we have advocate beside us as well. During our journey here in the wilderness, we have the Holy Spirit and power. The same word, comfortable or comforter, means power. As Paul said in Philippians chapter four and verse 13, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, he said, I have strength for all things in him, in Christ, that give me power. The Lord Jesus is the truth, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the truth. Rebecca decided to go with the servant. She didn't saw Isaac yet, but, but he bought a wonderful report about Isaac to strengthen her. Although what she see in the wilderness above the camel, but she heard a wonderful report about Isaac. And very soon we'll see Isaac, the true Isaac, which the Holy Spirit give us a great report about him now. In verse 19, what is, what is meant by a little while? What does it mean? 
the Lord says, yet a little while. Um, My impression is that he's speaking of the short duration between that moment during which he was speaking and when the, the world would no longer see him after he was taken down from the cross. It was only a little while remaining until the Lord until the Lord would not be seen by the world anymore. But then he says, but ye see me. This is not now seeing physically. This is seeing spiritually, as, as Paul says in Hebrews 2. But we see Jesus. Because I live, you shall live also. We see one who is risen and invisible to the physical eye, and we live because that one is living. Um, would that correspond with your thought, Tadros? Thank you. Or thoughts about verse 17. When the Lord calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of the truth. If we link it as Brother Randy said, that the Lord, we remember in verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here... The Lord mentioned that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the truth, and also in chapter 15 and chapter 16. And in the Old Testament, we see that the scripture called Jehovah God of truth in Isaiah uh, 65 and Psalm 31. And also, we read about the scripture, the word of God, it's the word of truth as it is written in Psalm 119 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And also we read about the gospel of truth in Ephesians chapter 1. So there is equality uh, between the, the God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus, we remember, he said, that I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. It someone said, without without the way, there is no going, and without the truth, there is no knowing, and without the life, there is no growing. So the Lord Himself, He is the all on all, and we remember His word about the Holy Spirit. He said, He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit, Benjamin, is another comforter. The Lord Jesus is one comforter and he is now in heaven ever making intercession for the saints. What a wonderful thing. We have an advocate with the Father Mm. and we have another comforter, the Spirit of Truth. And also as... uh... Brother uh, Benjamin is pointed that the spirit of truth, we've heard that the Holy Spirit is an advocate, and we know that sometimes even we go on, we don't even know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit is an advocate for that. And also the Holy Spirit, as we heard, is the spirit of truth. And in verse 26, we know that he is a teacher. 
he shall teach you all things. He is also teach us and he will take from him and make it known to us. It's the only way we can start to understand what verse 20 is about. And I think we can only ever, well, maybe others can understand it properly, but I can only start to understand it because I think it's one of the magnificent verses of Scripture, verse 20. But it starts, in that day. Which day? The day that he will give us the spirit of truth, the other comforter. And now that we have, what a blessing, what, a, what an amazing blessing to be, to have the spirit of truth. He has, the Lord Jesus has, has equipped us in a way which we would, we, we just can't express in proper words. In that day, you shall know why do we know? Because it is written that look, I am in the Father. What a, what a thing. We had that back in the verse 10, the first verse we looked at today. And you are in me. He has a position of being the Son and the Father. What a, what a place. And you in me. What, what, what privilege. Uh, there must be better words than that, but can we get them? And I in you, the, the outworking of the new life which I have brought into you is the life of Christ, the mind of Christ, I think Brother George was speaking about before, that the whole being of Christ is in us. It's a huge, huge verse. And, and I just struggle to, to know how far it goes. It just keeps on going the more more we look at it. And it's because not only has he gone to the cross, not only is he glorified, not only is the Father glorified in him, not only has the Father glorified him in this great excellence of being at his right hand of the majesty on high, the spirit of truth has come in amongst us and we are brought into this magnificent, extensive, unending, eternal relationship and activity and position of verse 20. It's huge. I, I can't put the right words to it, but I think you know what we're trying to say. This, um, the verse that we read earlier, um, verse 11, does help somewhat in the understanding of verse 20. In that day, you shall know that I am in my Father. The day in which they were then living, the Lord was presenting to them the fact that he was in the Father, but they couldn't grasp that. You go on a little further in, in these chapters to chapter 16, and the Lord says in verse 28, I came out from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. And notice their response at the end of verse 30. They say, by this, we believe that thou art come from God. He's been telling them about the Father. 
He's been telling them about his relationship with the Father. And the best they can do is to say, well, we believe you came from God. They hadn't grasped the fact that he was also God, God himself. That he was in the Father in unity of nature, in unity of substance, different in person, but one as God. When it comes to the day in which we live, that hasn't changed. The only thing that has changed in verse 20 is you shall know. We know that. We have no doubts about the deity of Christ if we're Christians. We have no doubts about his oneness with the Father and his position with the Father. But then something that's not said in verse 20 that is said in verse 11, and the Father in me. No longer was the Lord Jesus a man living in the world with the Father acting in him in testimony. Something has replaced that. The thing that has replaced that is the third thing mentioned in verse 20, I in you. Instead of now the Father being in Christ in testimony, that's now Christ in us in testimony. But between the two things in verse 20, there's something else. And ye in me. We now have a position in Christ. That, that is, when God looks at us, he doesn't look at us as natural men, as, as men in the flesh. He doesn't look at us as children of Adam. He looks at us and regards us and values us just as he values his own beloved son. We are in him. The disciples back in that day, they were not in him. We now that he is glorified, having finished the work on the cross, can rejoice that we are in Christ. And we have then the responsible side that he is in us, in us, in testimony. In chapter 16, in this. Uh, verse 12, chapter 16, verse 12 says, I have met yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. What a wonderful thing to think of those greater things in verse 12, and the greater things, and then there's things in verse uh, uh, 20, as you mentioned, that you'll know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. The, the love of the Lord Jesus wants us to make known to us his love and his glory and his grace, and that we're taken into favor with him and to be at peace and rest in him. I'd just like to go back just very, very briefly. Um, a brother, I might have been, I'm not sure if it was either Stacey or Mike, I spoke about um, if you love me keeping my commandments, and the question was asked, Greg, you mentioned about how can we keep all those commandments? What are the commandments? I remember back in the days when I used to take the Sunday school, one of the most 
frequently asked questions about how do we know we're doing the wrong thing? How do we know? And I used to always say, what might be wrong or a burden to someone, easy for someone else. What's a burden to the next person, also easy to someone else. But you know, in the Epistle of the Hebrews, there's a, a, a beautiful verse there that was given to believers, people who were professing their belief, and yet they were stumbling, they were wavering. And it's about, virtually, how do we know if we're keeping the commandment? And I'll just read it to you. Wherefore, and it's about weights and measures, the scriptures using weights. Wherefore, seeing ye also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, let us lay aside every weight, every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Each one of us has a different burden. Each one of us would have something different that will weigh us down. But what we've got to do is don't put an if in it. The Holy Spirit will show you. We know. And this is what this verse is saying. Lay that aside. What might be um, a burden to me it might be easy for Greg. What might be a burden for Mike might be easy for Stacey. But we've all got something. And we're just the Holy Spirit will tell us. That's the best way I could ever, ever put it. This, this beautiful verse here, which was not given to the unbelievers, but was given to believers. Well, our time has pretty much elapsed. Our God and Father, we thank you for this time and thank you for the last three days that we met together on the, on the, on the internet and uh, we studied your word. And again, Father, we thank you for your word that we just have read it today. And uh, we were reminded with the word of our Lord Jesus that, that says, who loves me? that keep my commandments. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. What a precious word the Lord Jesus mentioned. How can we keep his commandments? And how can we keep his word? We thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, that gives us the power to do that. But God and Father, help us to obey the word, really to keep his commandments and to keep his word. To give his commandments, God and Father, and to everything according to his will and your will, and God and Father, to have the mind of Christ. God and Father, especially in these days, days of isolation, we thank you for these days. You allowed us to go through it, but this is for a purpose. And let us to come before you in humbling and to humble ourselves and in repentance and to confess our weakness and our failure and the God of Father to come before you and ask for your mercy and the God of Father to be able to resume our meetings and to honor the, old, the Lord Jesus amongst us, the one who unfortunately and sadly was not honored amongst the Christian circle, but God of Father let us to honor him in our lives. And God and Father, help us to be as an assembly of God to keep our testimony. We pray, God and Father, in the name of your beloved one. Amen. Amen. Amen.